0: As we've said before, we always love coming and being with you all again because we have such good memories here. And as Brother Philip was talking about uh, Brother Tom and myself and he as being pastors here, I was trying to calculate in my mind. Now, I may get this a year or two off, but I believe Brother Tom became the pastor in 85. Is that about right? And I think you were here 13 years. And the way I figured that is I helped you out in 98 and it seems like I remember somebody saying he had been the pastor for 13 years. So that covers 38 years from 1985 to 2023 and it is a blessing uh, to get to be with these two ministers at this time. Of course, I wasn't really your pastor. I was just a fly-by-night preacher. I helped you out about six months or so, but it was a great time, and I have no regrets uh, for that season that I spent with you all, and I'm glad that Brother Philip has been here for so long. That's a good thing for a man to have that kind of stability in his ministry. I want to speak to you today from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to read a lot here because of the difficulty of the subject matter. But first of all, there's some foundation I need to lay that we might understand what Paul is talking about. The city of Corinth was a very wicked city. You might say it was the Las Vegas of the first century. Now, I've been to Las Vegas a number of times because there's a little group of primitive Baptists out there that I go to preach to. But I think Corinth, based on what I've read, was probably worse than Las Vegas. The heathen temples, as was the case with almost all pagan worship, involved all kinds of sexual immorality. That was common among the pagan worship. Uh, One of the philosophies of Corinth or those that lived in Corinth in the first century was pleasure now. That was their philosophy. The place was so bad that if somebody in a neighboring city was living ungodly, they would say, you're acting the Corinthian. Mm-hmm. In other words, you're living in a very ungodly way. So before we read this, have that in mind. This is not like churches in America today that were constituted with members that probably were for the most part already living godly lives, for many years that wasn't the case here here was a culture where the members had lived ungodly lives there were not stable homes uh, they were surrounded with immorality and so we need to keep that setting in mind as Paul addresses a particular problem here in this chapter So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the first 16 verses. Normally, I don't read this much from the pulpit, but I believe it's needful based on this subject matter. Paul begins 1 Corinthians 11 and says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things, And keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would not have, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying having his head covered dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one, as if she were shaven. For if a woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things are of God. Judge in yourselves. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. That if a woman have long hair, it is glory to her. For her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Now, as I read that, you probably realize why it's needful to read the entirety of that subject matter here in 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, This is a subject matter that has been much discussed, much disagreement has been reached regarding exactly how it should be applied. I don't know if I've ever preached on it in a comprehensive way. That is, as my major subject matter. So I hope and pray that it is of the Lord that we are led in this direction. The church at Corinth had a gender problem. Isn't the Bible up to date? Yes. This is about the gender problem at Corinth. The issue is not hair length per se. The issue is what that hair length among them was an indication of. (coughs) It indicated a crisis with regard to gender identity. Maybe not to the extreme that we're seeing it today, but at the same time, based on what this says and what was going on in the church in light of what was going on in the culture, they may have experienced, even within the church, the problem that we see becoming more and more prevalent in our country today. Now in order to understand this portion of scripture and rightly divide it, we need to understand the meaning of four terms. The misunderstanding of these words has led to confusion about the meaning here. It's led me to be confused as I've tried to study it without correctly understanding these terms. The word covered means long hair, hair that a woman would have, perhaps way below her shoulders. The expression uncovered means short hair, like most men today wear their hair. The word shorn is what we would refer to as a buzz cut. Now, my wife tells me I need to quit using Gomer Pyle as an example because the young people don't know who he is. But those of you that are my age, you remember Sergeant Carter? His hair was shorn. That's what it means. A buzz cut. We called it in that time a crew cut. And then obviously we all can understand what shaven means. Someone that. Especially, you may think of some men that have lost most of their hair and they shave off what's left. Covered means long hair. Uncovered means short hair. Shorn means a buzz cut. Shaven means shave it all off. Now those words are important. Notice how Paul starts this chapter. The first two verses, he says... Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now, I praise you, brethren. He didn't praise the church of Corinth, but for a few things. He mostly condemned their ungodly behavior. He says, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances, and the word ordinances there refers to the substance of the things that he had taught. No doubt these referred to fundamental doctrinal issues. He says, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Now, here's what Paul is, or here's his concern. This is why he's stating it this way. He realized these people had no Christian background. He realizes they didn't grow up in godly homes. He realized that he may be one of the few that is having a Christian influence upon them. And that's why he says in verse 1, brethren, be followers of me. You may say, if you think of that expression today as an arrogant statement, but Paul was in a situation where it was of necessity that he told those people in that ungodly culture, be followers of me. Don't follow the culture. Don't listen to the vain philosophies philosophies of men. Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. The ordinances that I have taught you are the truth of what we have in Christ. He's our Savior. He redeemed you. Uh, You're not your own. You're bought with a price. He says that in just a few chapters prior. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. How appropriate that instruction is to the church at Corinth and even in America today. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So Paul says, I want to encourage you that you are following these basic principles of what we have in Christ. And obviously he had taught them some basic principles of morality. And he said, I praise you for being faithful in these things. And he says, you keep these things I've taught you and you keep on following me as long as I'm following Christ. Now, beginning in verse 3, he begins to identify and then address the problem they're having. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Now, the word head here refers to authority. You know, Jesus is referred to as the chief cornerstone. He's referred to as the head of the corner, the main support. Here it refers to uh, authority and leadership. Now, someone may say, well, there you go again, preacher. You're talking about how the man, the husband, has authority over the wife. And that gives the implication that the wife is less than the husband and she's not as important. But, you know, the Word of God is so often inspired that it will trip you up when you have bad attitudes about it. That's right. Yeah. Notice what this says. I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. Is Christ inferior to God? Is Christ demeaned by God? No, but it says that God is the head of Christ. Now you don't look at Christ that way, do you? That he's lesser, that he's to be uh, bossed around. He came to do the Father's will. He always did those things that pleased the Father. But that was in his life in this world as the Son of Man who came exclusively to do the Father's will. But he is not lesser than God. When he came here, he lay aside uh, his deity. He didn't lay aside his glory. He laid aside his glory. He didn't lay aside his deity. I got that back. He was the son of God in heaven. He was the son of God here. He did not lay aside the fact that he was God. He did not lay aside his deity. He laid aside his glory. And he made himself of no reputation and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So, if you're ever conversing with someone, especially you women, if you're talking to another woman, And they say, well, that's the thing I don't like about the Bible. It always puts women below men. Now, if you read the whole Bible, you just read the book of Ephesians. If you just read Ephesians chapter 5, if you just read Ephesians chapter 5 around verse 25, we'll not turn to it, you'll see this point taught. That the husband is to love his Christ, his wife as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself for her. That's right. Some man may say, well, I would give my life. I would die for my wife. Well, would you live for her? A hero would like to say, oh, I would die for my wife. That doesn't take very much sacrifice. In other words, that's a one-time thing. You die for your wife. That's admirable. You ought to die for your wife but more importantly, you ought to live for. You ought to be a living sacrifice, like it says in Romans 12. That's what Paul taught. He said, husbands, you deny what makes you comfortable. You deny your interest. You deny what you want to pursue. You deny everything that is that is, uh, pertains to your welfare for the benefit of your wife. That's what Paul taught. The same man that said... The head of the woman is the man. Same writer. Now, verse 4. Every man praying or prophesying. For the sake of time, we're just going to refer to that as worship. In particular, public worship. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, having long hair dishonoreth his head. Who is his head? The head of every man is Christ. (laughs) He says, every man that prayeth or prophesieth having his head covered dishonoreth Christ. You know, I would suppose that means Christ didn't have long hair. (laughs) Now, Paul's going to say a lot here to teach that, but isn't that clear enough? If my head's covered in the sense that he's talking about here, I'm dishonoring Christ. How in the world could it make sense if Christ had his head covered in the sense Paul is talking about here and me uh, be dishonoring him by having my head covered? Mm -hmm. By the way, you say, brother, buddy, all those portraits show Jesus with long hair, not before about the fourth century. And I would think the people in the 1st century had a pretty good understanding of what he looked like. It wasn't until about the 7th century or maybe the 6th century that it became somewhat accepted to have portraits or, or paintings of Christ with very long hair. Now, every man worshiping the Lord with his head covered dishonoreth Christ. Now, let's stay with this because the problem is not the hair length. This doesn't mean that we need to go around with a tape measure and predetermine how long a man can have his hair and if it's longer than that, he needs to get it cut. That's not the point here. There's a bigger problem than hair length. That's not the issue here. You know, some of the most godly women I've been around were elderly women with real short hair. Some of the most godly women I've been around. Some whose behavior fully displayed what a woman should be like as far as being feminine is concerned. But there's a problem here, and it's the outward appearance indicates the inward problem. You know, that's often the case. You know, we see people doing things that maybe in and of themselves are not sinful things, but they're indicative of a problem going on on the inside, a problem with the way they think, a problem with how they view life. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered Dishonoreth her head. Who's her head? Her husband. Now, this next phrase unlocks what this chapter is all about. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. Now, two things here. She says... This man with his head covered and this woman with her head uncovered indicates some confusion or some failure to distinguish the difference between man and woman. Again, not the hair length. That in and of itself is not the issue. The issue is... A mindset. Notice he says that is even all one. In other words, there was there was a problem in this church with gender identity. There wasn't a clear understanding of the difference between men and women. And notice what he says when 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 women's head is uh, uncovered. I hope I hadn't been saying this backwards. When women's head is uncovered and men's head is covered, he says, that's even all one, listen to this, as if she were shaven. Now watch this, what does that mean? How is it that a woman who is uncovered, a woman who has short hair, is like a woman that is shaven, a woman that shaves her head? Paul is saying, you're confusing the difference It's just like if she shaved her head. You've so confused the difference between men and women that it's just like if she was shaving. And notice, I believe there's even a little inspired sarcasm in the next verse. Watch what he says. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. In other words, notice what he's saying here. If, if the woman be not covered, if you're going to say, oh no, the woman, you know, she, it, she don't really have to be that much different from the men of which in this case, short hair was indicative of. He says, then just go ahead and let her be shorn. Go ahead and give her a buzz cut. Now, but if it's a shame for her to be shorn or shaven probably even among them it was a shame for a woman to shave her head in the church but Paul says if that's the case let her be covered in other words if you're going to confuse the issue just go all the way with it and perhaps he's saying if you think about it in this light you'll see that there's a problem You're already blurring the lines. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God. There's another one. Evidently, God doesn't have long hair. A man ought not to cover his head. He's the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Now, in these verses that follow, the point is there is a difference between men and women. That's the point. And Paul is saying, By my observation, I can see you're blurring the lines. I can see this gender thing's not a big deal to you. I can see that this may be a potential problem. Based on the culture you're living in, when there were all kinds of prostitutes, men and women, when the words are used, in this very epistle, to identify men involved with young boys. There was not a clear identity of what's the difference between men and women in this city. And so Paul is saying, I can see by what's going on outwardly that, listen, you're moving in the wrong direction. That's the concept here. You want to avoid taking an extreme view Think of it that way. Paul's saying, you're moving in the wrong direction and I can see it outwardly. Yeah. That's what he's saying. Now, let me make this little side point. This is not speaking of physical head coverings on women. That's right. Now, that conclusion can be reached if you misdefine these terms that I've already tried to define. You know what I do when I see a sister in the church wearing a head covering? Nothing. That's right. You know why? Because she is sincerely trying to honor the Lord based on what she believes the scriptures teach. The church I serve right now, there are two sisters there. When they come in, they put a head covering on. When the service is over, they take it off. I dare not say a word about it but that's not what's under consideration here that's right now watch this verse 7 let's now look at some detail here for a man for a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God but the woman is the glory of the man So notice he's beginning to identify a difference between men and women that is explained in the second chapter of the Bible when the writer of Genesis is explaining creation and how that men and women are different. But notice how he describes it here and then we'll refer back to Genesis. He makes two points. First of all, First 1 Corinthians 11.8 says, The man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Man didn't come from woman in creation. Woman came from man. And then he says, verse 9, Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Again, even in creation, they're different in a big way. Not just human anatomy. Now that's a big way. But notice how he refers to it here if you go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 2 and verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh. Instead, that is in that place, instead thereof, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. God created a man from the dust of the earth, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul there God did not there's no record here of God breathing into the nostrils of Eve. The breath of life. The point is, God created a man. He created a male. And the Lord said, notice this in Genesis chapter uh, uh, 2, verse 18. Here's what the Lord God said. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him an help meet for him. I will make him a helper that is suitable and compatible for Him. Now, I wonder if God knew what He was doing. You think He did? I do. If you can create a man from dust, I say not only do you know what you're doing, but you've got power that we dying mortals can't comprehend. And God looked at that man He created... And he said, you know, it's not good for that man to be alone. I'm going to take some more dust and create another man. Is that what he did? "No. I'm going to take some more dust and create a woman. Is that what he did? No, he took something from that man, that male that he created, and from that male made a female that was a suitable helper for him. Now, someone might say, well, why didn't God make the woman first? Well, when you get to heaven, you can take that up with the Lord. (laughs) The Lord's always referred to in the masculine sense. He's always referred to in that way. So, it only makes logical sense that when he created a human being in his image, he created a man, a male one of masculinity. Now notice this. Genesis chapter 2, verse 22. Not only did he make the woman from the rib that he took from the man, Adam says, verse 23, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Notice that's a capital W and a capital M. There may be several reasons for that. Um, We know at this time they were without sin. But perhaps it means that God meant what he said. Call this male man and call this uh, female woman. That's the way God named them. Now go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I believe this will give you more insight as to exactly what Paul's talking about. Let's read those two verses again. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 8. The man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause, that is, this is why This is why ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Now, what in the world is that talking about? The word power there is simply indicative of her husband's authority over her. And again, lest you think I'm taking a harsh view, read Ephesians chapter 5. That's the sense in which I'm saying the husband has authority over her. Whoever the boss is, the buck stops with him. Mm -hmm. If it don't work, it's his fault. I'm not saying that a wife can't ruin a marriage regardless of what the husband does, but I'm gonna say that it's your job, husbands, to save the marriage. If your children have behavior problems, that's on you. You're the head of the house. Ultimately, you're answerable for your home. Lord doesn't put that on the wife. He doesn't put that on the mother. Puts it on the man, the husband. Notice what Paul's saying here. And this will draw us back to the particular issue and the particular application here in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 Verse 10, because the woman was formed from from man, because the woman was formed for man, it says she ought to have power on her head because of the angels. In other words, Paul is saying, you're having a problem with identifying roles. You're having a problem with identifying the Place that the husband and wife uh, occupy, and this is the reason that the woman ought to have power on her head. He's simply saying, in 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 these problems in Corinth, this head covering, which is her hair, indicates, as he says here in verse ten, that uh, the the woman ought to have power on her head. That is, this is an emblem of her recognizing the order that God established. Because of the angels. Now the angels are in heaven, aren't they? I realize they're sent to earth. I realize that angels are often all around us and we don't know it, but angels are creatures, they're beings in heaven who stand ready to do God's bidding. You remember when Jesus said, I could have called upon 12 legions of angels. You know, he could call upon one based on what the Bible says one could do and wipe out those that were there. But he's making a point. There's no limit to my power. There's no end to my resources. If I didn't want to be crucified, I could take care of it right now if I was determined to get out of it. But aren't those angels in heaven always beholding perfect order yes. with God the, when God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost? When you think of them described in that way, Father and Son, does anything come in your mind about a relationship that's not what it ought to be? See, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost is the ultimate ultimate example of unity. Yep. Think about this. If you believe that salvation is based on works, there's disunity in the Godhead That's right. because God chose a particular people. Jesus died for a particular people. And if there's unity in the Godhead, the Spirit will quicken everyone that makes up that group of particular people, which we think of as God's elect, there's perfect unity, perfect harmony, though Jesus, though God is the Father and Jesus is the Son, they have mastered harmony in heaven. That's right. The angels always see that. Mm-hmm. We need to think about that. Those angels are sent here sometimes, aren't they? The woman ought to have a covering On her head, which is her hair, because of the angels. It honors God when we keep and maintain the order he established. Mm -hmm. When he created man from the dust of the earth, formed woman from the rib of the man as a result of God pronouncing it's not good that the man be alone, so I will make a suitable helper for him. Now think of this parallel illustration. You may think, what in the world does that have to do with this? Well, I'll try to show you. Have you ever heard someone say maybe they're an expert? Maybe they've got a PhD and they're on one of these popular talk shows on TV or the radio and a parent comes on there and says, my children are out of control. They don't respect me. They don't love me. They don't care about me. What should I do? First thing they might say is, well, first of all, never spank your child. That'll cause them to be violent. That'll cause them to hate you. That'll make matters worse. Here's the point I'm making. You can't improve on God's way if it's followed according to his principles. Here's the parallel point I'm making. You can't improve on God's way. God knew what he was doing when he made a woman for the man. God knew what would be most compatible for man. So now notice in verses 11 and 12. Now he's already said, man's not of the woman, the woman's of man. He's already said man is not created for the woman, the woman's created for man. He's already said, therefore you ought to be able to look at him and distinguish him. So verse 11, he says, nevertheless, in spite of all that that I just told you from verses 8 through 10. He says, nevertheless, that is in spite of that, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. What is he saying there? He's saying uh, the man without the woman is not in the Lord, and the woman without man is not in the Lord. They need each other and there's compatibility found in the Lord in a godly marriage. Paul's saying, I'm not trying to separate the two. He's saying, I'm not telling you when I talk about a woman having her head covered and a man having her head uncovered. He's not, I'm not trying to create the opposite of what I'm afraid you're moving toward. Yes, you're moving towards something that's not good. You're blurring the lines that distinguish men from women. And I'm not saying cut them in half and pull them apart and not put the men on one side and the women on another side. He said, I'm not saying that. You know, we're prone to go from one extreme to the other, aren't we? You remember when Paul was shipwrecked on that island? And he said, those barbarous people showed no little kindness. That means those barbarians were children of God. We went to an island where the gospel had never been preached. They probably never heard the name of God or Jesus Christ. He said, they showed us no little kindness. I don't know why the Bible says it that way. That just means they showed us much kindness. So when Paul was gathering wood, you remember that serpent, that poisonous snake, I suppose, bit him, locked onto his hand, and those... Barbarians that had been kind to him who were ignorant of Bible knowledge said, Well, he survived the shipwreck, but obviously, vengeance suffereth him not to live. The gods are punishing him. Then he shook it off and felt no harm, and they said, He's a god. Isn't that how we are? Go from one ditch to the other. Paul's saying don't move from where you're going over to the office, to the the other direction. That's just as detrimental when men think of their marriages that way. That when they say things like this. Well, there's one thing about it, you'll never figure out a woman. Well, you may not ever figure out, but you don't need to go around advertising that and broadcasting that and especially telling her that. Because your job is to get to know her. Peter said that we're to we're to we're to let's just turn to that word and quote it just like in uh first Peter chapter uh three, I believe it is. Notice what he says here. Likewise, you wise, be in subjection to your own husbands that if any obey not the word. Watch this now. Here's a husband that's not interested in church, not doesn't read the Bible, doesn't have that interest. He says, if you have a husband that doesn't obey the word, it says that he may also without the word be won by the conversation of the wise. The word conversation there means the godly behavior of the wise. It can't mean what she says because he's just said that he can be won uh, without the word. He says, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair. See, here's a good example that the issue is not hair length and making a rule about how long hair can be because Paul says that's not what makes the, mo- the woman. It's not the plating of hair. It's not the wearing of gold. It's not the putting on of apparel, but it's the hidden man of the heart. You remember what I said about Corinth, that their outward appearance was a manifestation of the condition of the heart? Paul says, let that woman manifest the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Now watch verse 7. This is what I was referring to a moment ago. Likewise, your husbands dwell with them according to knowledge. I can't dwell with her according to knowledge if I don't know her. You need to know your wife. You need to talk to her. Did you know the main reason God gave Eve was not to be fruitful and multiply? The main reason was companionship. That's what he said. It's not good that he be alone. Offspring is the result of the companionship that God designed in marriage. And so he says here dwell with your wives according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs to the gatherer of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. That phrase, weaker vessel, means fragile but valuable. That's right. If I've got a if I've got a valuable, breakable item, I'm not going to throw it around and give little heed to how I treat it. I'm going to say, man, this thing's worth some money. I'm going to take care of it. That's, right. That's the idea. That's exactly right. She's worth something. You better yeah. take care of her. That's right. You better protect her. Now, go back to First Corinthians chapter 11. And in verse 13, now we're coming to the last four verses that we read. Paul says, judge in yourselves. I've told you, I've instructed you, I've given you the ordinances. I've spent some detail here in this letter telling you that you don't need to blur the line. I don't want to see you behaving in ways that blur the lines. Now, all of us, if you meet a person that doesn't appear to be the normal man or the normal woman, it's obvious when the lines are blurred, isn't it? It's easy to pick up on. That's what Paul wants to do away with. So he says, You judge the manner. What do you think about it? You look and see, is it comely? Is it suitable that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Is it proper for a woman to worship God with a misunderstanding of what a woman is? That's most basic and fundamental in Genesis chapter 2. That's not proper. And it's no more proper for a feminine man to worship the Lord, of which this outward issue he addresses here is an indication of. Look at verse 14. Now this ought to really drive it home. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. Now why did he go through this whole Context using the word covered and uncovered. And now he switches in verse 14 and 15 to long hair. Long hair, that is indicating he's referring to long hair and short hair. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. It's universal that in general, throughout the world, throughout history, without defining a specific length, that in general, women have longer hair than men. Whether they're Christians or not. Why Why in the world is that the case? I would think that it started out that way. You know, I know that things that start out a certain way, we can completely depart from them. But this is such a basic... uh foundational thing in the natural realm he says nature not spiritual he didn't say doesn't the church teach you this he didn't say doesn't those that are born of the spirit understand this he says nature does not nature itself teach you this thing and then he says in verse 15 but if a woman have long hair it is a glory to her for her hair is giving her for a covering her hair is the covering. Her hair is given her for a covering. Now notice this last verse, verse 16. This is to me evidence that the scripture is inspired. You know, this could be a very controversial subject if it's not preached right. You know, one time we were joking around at our church in the lunchroom. You know, sometimes you have to make sure you you don't go too far in joking. And and I didn't. It didn't cause any problems. But somebody had made reference to this, maybe preached on it a little bit. And when we were having lunch, I went out to my car and got the tape measure. And see, I hang out with the young young people. And I went around to the tables, you know, measuring their hair. That's not what's being taught here. But notice what he goes on to say. He says, if any man seem to be contentious, Paul says, if this is going to be unnecessarily offensive, if this is is going to be rejected, he says, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. In other words, what you're doing here, Paul says, we don't have this custom anywhere. I'm not just imposing this on Corinth. He says, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. You see, you could look at that backwards and say, well, I've said all of this, but if it, if this is troublesome, just forget about it. We don't really push that tradition in the church. And again, for the last time, hair length is not the issue. Hair length is not the problem. Hair length in this culture in the first century based on the fact that these people had no godly Christian foundation in their past, based on they were living in a city where no doubt women were with women and men were with men, and I can prove to you men were with young boys, and they had come from a culture that everybody was the same. Sound like our country today? Absolutely. You're whatever you want to be. So, Paul is saying, I'm not isolating you. This is my standard position on this. So, that my concluding thought the issue is not hair length, the issue is what it may indicate. Now, I've not seen anybody here with a tattoo, so I'm not picking on you. It's not a sin to get a tattoo, but here's the problem. When I was a boy, you'd see a sailor with an anchor right here. You didn't even know he had it unless he pulled a shirt sleeve up. Man always takes it as far as he can. And I'm telling you, If you got tattoos all over your body and on your face and everywhere else, and that's going to be there till the day you die, young people. You hear me? That's going to be there till the day you die. That's indicating a problem if that's all over your body. That's indicating a problem. So let's look at things like that in that light. People ask me all the time, brother, buddy, is it a sin to get a tattoo? You know, in the Old Testament, it talks about marking themselves. You can take all kinds of verses to prove anything you want to to try to emphasize something is in and of itself a sin. But I'll at least say this. It's not wise. There's a lot of things you can do and back out of. Now I've read about people that spent a lot of money and went through a lot of pain to surgically remove those things. There'd be far better not to get them to start with. And think of this, and I didn't mean this did not come on my mind until right now. When you're young, you make decisions you haven't thought through. That's right. That's right. Most of them you can change. You can't change that one. See. And I'll tell you this in conclusion, you know, even the secular world, they're probably much more apt to hire someone that doesn't have tattoos all over their body. You ever thought about that? My son told me this, and this will be my last remark. My son told me he's got a new job now, and they inspect fire extinguishers. One of the guys has a lot of tattoos. What do they call those things where they, you put them in your ear and your ears get bigger and bigger, and if you take them out, you got skin flapping around? Gauge. You know one of those big disc things? It's called a gauge. Okay, a gauge. Sorry. That's fine. Uh, Abel doesn't have any tattoos. His coworkers got all that stuff. You know where his boss sends him to inspect fire extinguishers? Abel's co-worker. You know where the boss sends him to expect mm-hmm. fire extinguishers? The bad side of town. Yeah. Where the crime is and where the drugs are. Now, if you're offended by those comments, just think it through. That's right. Think it through. And before you make any decision that you can't undo, see if it's honoring to the Lord. Amen. That's right. yeah.